What's happening, folks? This is Dan Bourne from Devil's Train, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast. Y'all ready for some new music? Turn that shit up! All right, Sonny, so we're midway through the year, and I think it's time that we do a little new music report card, meaning it's time to share a little bit of new music. It's time to review some of the new music that's already come out in this first half of the year. We got a little bit of a special episode where we're going to do another one of those Crank It Up New Music Spotlight extended segments with Dan Bourne from Devil's Train. They're getting ready to release their new album, and I did a quick interview with Dan. He's very cool, uh, and we can talk about that new Devil's Train record as well. What's happening with you, my friend? Uh, just listen to new music as it comes out. You know, both of us get a lot of new music thrown our way, and it's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I think you end up getting a lot of punk. For some reason, I end up getting a lot of death metal. I don't know why, but people keep sending me death metal stuff, so... It's a lot, you know, I'll give everything at least a little bit of a listen. And it's like, if the vocal doesn't catch me right away, I'm like, okay, I can't listen to that anymore. If the vocal at least gets me a little bit, then I'll kind of move on. So you have to have some sort of process, but uh, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. There's been some good music this year. Yeah, of course, as is with every year, there's always good music. There's just so much of it. And it's really, really hard to zone in on top 10, top five, whatever. It's just become, hey, I've listened to these records and I really like them. There's always going to be a ton of other stuff that you like and dislike that probably won't get mentioned because there's just too much of it. Yeah, and I know Baco's listening. Baco, I didn't do it on purpose, but my three picks today, none of them are from Frontiers. (laughs) So fuck you. It's not from Frontiers. (laughs) And Baco... Two of mine are from Frontiers, so there you go. At least I got two out of three. And, you know, Covers and Fire, have a great time with those guys. Just did an episode with Baco. I encourage you guys to go listen to it. It's been out a while now by the time we release this episode. But all the podcasts are doing a great job at getting new music out there and getting bands out there. And that's how this music lives on. Uh, As I said, when I spent my time with Baco, it's okay to live in the past and enjoy the stuff from the past, but you got to always keep moving forward. And I think, you know, a lot of the podcasts do do that, and we're no exception to that, whether it's from Frontiers or another label. Who cares what label it's on? (laughs) It's either good or it's bad. I've heard some of the stuff Baco likes on some of the labels, and it ain't good. I listened to uh, the episode, obviously. Yeah. And I thought you guys had some good conversation. I will also tell you my opinion. Baco, you won every argument. Steven didn't even have a chance. You didn't give him a chance. And that's beautiful because he lost every single argument. I was on Baco's side all the way. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) I would expect nothing less. 
the episode we're talking about is one-on-one with Baco or Baco's plus one is the name of the episode on covers and fire. Go check it out. It's a good fun. Listen. So let's get into this episode because we've got a whole lot of new music to talk about. Some things that we love, some things maybe that are meh. And I want you guys to hear this segment with Dan Bourne from Devil's Train because Devil's Train is a band that is not on Frontier's record that we've been uh, pushing here for a while now. They're on album number three. And I personally like this new album they've just released. So let's get into it now. So for tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight, we are going to do an extended version of this and focus on the band Devil's Train. Now, this is a band that we've been supporting pretty much since the existence of this podcast. Going back to the band's first album, we've dropped tracks in and featured tracks for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight, and they're about to release a new album called Ashes and Bone on June 24th, 2020 via Roar rock of angels records and i've got the guitar player dan born on skype what's going on dan hey dude nice to meet you yeah it's great to be here nice to meet you so as we like to do with a lot of first time guests to the show we kind of like to find a little bit about their musical history slash journey sure for you personally what was it that attracted you to rock and roll was there a song or an album or a band how did you first get into rock and roll in general cool man i think sort of the earliest memory i've got is having an elvis cassette like a best of when i was like a proper kid like six years old or something right and then you know as it is with kind of preteen years it kind of went away for a while i just listened to whatever was on the radio or something but i think around sort of the age of 12 maybe it sort of started coming back and i remember having Kind of, I think I got into it through the sort of the rock and new metal of the day, your Limp Biscuits and your Crazy Towns and 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 stuff like that. And then I got into Corn, and through that I got into older bands. I got into Motorhead and Maiden and ACDC, and like ACDC and Maiden were the first bands that I was really addicted to, that I really got into. And I would go out every month with my pocket money and buy another Maiden record, and because I know it's always great, all the artwork's great, the music's always going to be of a certain standard, and I would 
really get into it. So yeah, I got into thrash and new wave and British heavy metal and and blues rock. You know, kind of moving back through that, I would get into Purple and Thin Lizzy and things like that. You know, in my teens, Van Halen. You know, yeah, yeah, that's very cool because as we'll get into more about the band, the interesting thing that I find about the band is the band is a European band, but it definitely has a southern tinge to it, mm. which is interesting for us because you don't really hear a lot of that outside of the states i mean obviously here in the states we have the originals bands like uh leonard skinnerd and 38 special and and all these bands that kind of started that whole trend so it's cool to hear a band with a heavy mix to it and a southern flavor but where it's located is definitely different so I just find that interesting. What was the first uh, Maiden record you bought? Do you remember? The first one I bought was probably Killers, second album. So I have a very special... I know Paul, like Deano, isn't really into Killers, and it kind of gets brushed under the table a bit. But for me, it's just a really special record still to these day, you know. And But yeah, I think I think a friend got me. One of my like skater sort of punkier sort of friends, a girl got me into Maiden, I remember showing me. Back in the day of like, She'd put stuff on tape for me or burn CDs or whatever. And I remember some cool, like, you know, that was, it was one of the first bands where I would get into live versions. I remember her giving me like live versions of Fear of the Dark and stuff like that, that were like so much faster than the studio version. And I was there like, fucking yes, you know, because it was that punk rock energy almost, but it was heavy metal, you know, it was melodic. So yeah, Killers was the first for me as well. Cool. And- I have a love for that album a lot. I know, you know, it's not the popular choice. A lot of people lean towards the uh, Dickinson stuff, and I love it as well. But Killers definitely holds a place in my heart as well. Ditto, man. It's interesting, isn't it? I sort of, I'm going on such a tangent here, but I'm the same as you. I love the Dickinson era very much as well. But I was listening to Killers again in the car for the first time in a long time, maybe yesterday, like recently, a couple of days ago. Right. And I sort of went, man, these, you know, listening to the lyrics, because usually as a guitar player, I, I listen to the melody more than the lyrics. I don't sort of, and I was sort of going, this is definitely not like a power metal lyric kind of on that record. If anything, it's more, it's almost emo. It's almost like mm-hmm. he's singing about, you know, his dad not being around and mm-hmm. difficult feelings and that, you know, it, it's not all Dungeons and Dragons. It's not Dio. It's not Hammerfall, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, you get the little things like, murders in the room org and, and stuff like that that is more of a fictional character but you get a lot of like introspective lyric on there as well and i think that mixture is great i always love having that mixture of a bit of fantasy and a bit of personal stuff on a, on an album you know yeah to me it was the perfect mixture of metal and a slight tinge of punk like they leaned a little bit heavier to me towards punk on the first album but when they got exactly. to killers they kind of had that mixture and uh, I, I just, my fondest memories of that record are, are playing air guitar, you know, to murders in the room, Morgan Rathchild and stuff like that. And killers even. And it's cool. just that, yeah, that record is so good awesome. in my awesome. opinion. Yeah. And it has that, like that slight wistful folky edge to it as well. Yeah. That's so British, you know, and if I had to pick a song that made me want to play like lead guitar, it's definitely eyes of March. I remember hearing eyes of March for the first time. And that was one of those moments when it was like, Oh, okay that's what I want to do. Before that, I wasn't sure if I wanted to play bass or right. guitar. Or what. I knew I wanted to play and I knew I wanted to do rock music, you know, but that was like, oh yeah, I want to do that. You know, I want to do, wow, wow, I don't know, wow. You know, so, well, yeah. that's, that's awesome because that was actually my next question. So you answered that, which is, it was there a song that made you want to reach out and play guitar. Do you come from a, a family of musicians or are you pretty much it? 
I'm pretty much it, man. Yeah, yeah, this is it. I sort of, my dad dabbled. My dad had an acoustic guitar and he would play when he was younger and stuff. Like he would, you know, folky stuff. He would, you know, campfire kind right. of stuff. You know? But yeah, but no, other than me, there's pretty much nobody that plays in my family. So it's definitely the black sheep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a saying here at Growing Up Rock, which is all roads lead to Kiss. Were you ever a Kiss fan? <laughs> That's interesting, right? I think I just slightly missed Kiss, you know? I, I'm i not that familiar with their discography. I remember being into Revenge, mm -hmm. like, in the 90s and stuff, but it wasn't, yeah, so many guys I talked to, especially, you know, if they have a, a an American affinity or, or they've spent time in the States, they will say it's all about Kiss, and so, or at least the bands that they're into were influenced by Kiss. You right. know, you talk... You're Scott Ian's or whatever, you know, all those guys from the 80s who were like, yeah, Kiss was my jam, you know. But for me, I got into it later on, you know, if anything. But I've never seen them live, for example, unfortunately, yeah. you know, so I'm not a huge, not a huge devotee to the Kiss army. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely understand. And you're you're definitely behind uh, myself and, and a lot of our listeners in terms of age. If you're coming into the picture in the 90s, we're already full blown at that point in time yeah. uh, because yeah. we are 80s kids. And I think yeah. Kiss connected with a lot of people that loved loved the music, but they also loved the the comic books and the images yeah. and things like that. You know, so uh, I totally get that. And I, and I also think that Kiss was probably more of a, they were really more of a U.S. band. I know they did really good business in Australia, but Europe, I'm really not so sure that they did fantastic uh, numbers in Europe. I'm sure they were known, but, you know. Yeah. I'm, again, in the U.K., they're big, you know. Yeah. So when I went over there and I, and I, you know, my friend Chris, who Chris Dale, who plays bass, he used to play bass for Bruce Dickinson back like in the 90s, early 2000s mm -hmm. and stuff. He's him and his son. They're massive Kiss fans. Like they fly to Tokyo to go watch Kiss. You right. know? Wow. <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. But it's the kind of thing where, yeah, they play arenas, you know, so it's not like they're in town. You know, it would if I wanted to go see Kiss, I would have to spend a lot of money and spend a couple of nights and probably fly somewhere to go see Kiss. You know, so, yeah. whereas like Metallica will come play up the road. Maiden will come play up the road. You yeah. Know? So. It was just what was around, I suppose, in my youth, you know, that that would grab me, you know. Yeah. Do you remember the first uh, real proper rock concert that you ever attended? I can't remember if I went to anything small. I think that, see, this is, again, it's one of those. 2004, Metallica came and played the local football stadium or mm -hmm. soccer stadium, I should say. <laughs> and it was Inflamed and Slipknot opening, both of whom I wasn't into at all at the time. And then I got into the heavier genres later on and I was like, oh, dang, you know, but back then it was like four in the afternoon. It was sunlight and there was these dudes in like rubber hats fucking jumping around on stage. You know, and it was, <laughs> I was like, what's this? You know, I was there for Metallica, you know, because we were into, you know, as a young guitar player, that's what you do, man. You play from right. the belt ups and then you play Fade to Black and then you get into the more difficult stuff. You right. know? <laughs> so and, and yeah. Are you a self-taught guitar player? Yes and no. I was fortunate enough to always have lessons, but I never had anybody who was like a metal or even hard rock guitar player uh, giving me lessons until I went to college, until I was, you know, grown up and I, I knew this is what I wanted to do for a career. And I went to London to music college. Yeah. But when I was growing up, I had a guitar teacher who was amazing, but he was a he was a jazz rock guy. You know, he was into Aldo Miola and he was into Santana. And so I kind of I think part of the reason I, I'm so versatile and I can kind of blend into a lot of scenarios musically is, is because of this, because I would always kind of do my lessons homework, which was something 
more, you know, in the classic rock to funk to blues to whatever. And then I would go and do, when I had my homework done, so to speak, I would go and I would do my shit. I would do heavy music yeah. and I would do that by myself. And it was sort of, you know, partly by ear, partly by, you know, the old, you know, transcription books you could buy at the store. And it was the beginning of that whole internet tab era as well so i would grab the odd thing off. i remember asking my mom like at work like print me can you print me you know the mercenary by maiden can you find a tab for me and bring it home you know and stuff like that yeah now are you just a pretty much a straight plug it and play kind of guy or is there a particular pedal that you can't live without i mean if there's one pedal i can't live without it's a it's a tube screamer like a classic 808 or so like the ibanez tube screamer yeah, they're great. I mean, I like the Maxon. I've, I've always been kind of a fan of the Maxon, you know, um, which I, I'm not one of these people who's really super into gear or familiar with all the like different iterations and stuff. I have a few lying around. Right. But more often than not, if I go out, like if I go do a metal show, like I've got some metal shows with Mystic Prophecy coming up in a couple of weeks and my pedal board is literally like a wah, a noise gate, a tuner and, you know, and the, the 808, you know, maybe a phaser or chorus or something, but nothing. I'm kind of old school, nothing crazy. I'm not into the digital stuff so much, but I am kind of like, I, I think it's in the fingers. I, I'm not into, I don't buy into the newest gear or, or fancy shit. You know, I can just go anywhere and plug into anything and sound like me pretty much, you know? I think that's what, uh, that's what they say. It doesn't matter what gear you're playing through. You're going to sound like you through any gear. Uh, that was the one thing. I think I read a story somewhere where Eddie Van Halen early in his career they were opening up for Ted Nugent or something and he went through Ted's gear and it didn't matter. He, it still sounded like Ed playing through Ted's yeah. gear, you know? Of course. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, so give me a little history about the band because with newer bands, it's sort of hard to find a lot of information on them. Is Devil's Train pretty much a do-it-yourself type situation? The band itself? Yeah, well, as in, as in, rather than having loads of representation and a big team and stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I have to maybe lead with that. I'm one of the newer additions in the band, so okay. you know, I can only say what I kind of know myself from the the biographies and stuff and the conversations we've had. So is this your first album, or were you on the one of the other two? No, this is my first album. Okay. So essentially, the band. So that everybody who's in the band is in other bands and they're all pretty much power metal musicians they're mm -hmm. heavy metal musicians you know of the of the german ilk you know right um but we you know they all kind of when the band started it was i think uh, leah the singer he who very much has an affinity for southern rock and, and bad company and glenn hughes and things like that he wanted something else he wanted another outlet so he was looking for guys to do something groovier with right. that was kind of a little more saucy you know mm -hmm. so it's pretty much his project but he's he's one of these just natural band leader type people anyway he has he has great vision he has the visuals in his head he has great organization skills he knows how to get people together how to get people motivated you know so um he started it with a bunch of guys in 2012 and they had albums in 2013 and 16 so the first two were kind of close together and there was some touring and such and then it because it was you know for many guys in the band it wasn't their main thing so and then sort of the guitar player left a couple of years ago. He moved back to, I think he was from Greece. And it kind of fizzled out. So Lee has always been thinking about how to start this back up for a couple of years, let's say. So, And uh, he and I, maybe I should start with uh, saying that he and I, our other bands are on the same record company. 
on the same okay. label. So that's why we know each other. Got it. And I help out live with one of his other bands. And we've been friends for years, you know, so we've always wanted to do something together. And so when I moved back to Germany uh, about two years ago, we pretty much instantly started writing together. And we didn't even know what it was going to be at first. We didn't know if it was going to be a devil's train thing or if it was going to be if we were going to make it his solo album my solo album a, a new thing like we didn't know but you know we kind of started writing and pretty soon like three songs in we were like okay yeah this is devil's train material for sure so why don't we do that why don't we you know get that back out of the suitcase type of thing and and do a cool new devil's train record and an album cycle yeah yeah because it's very i mean it's they're very consistent albums in terms of sound so you're not going to listen to the first devil's train record and the third devil's train record and go what this is a completely different band I would mm. never know that. Not to my ears. It's very heavy. It's very southerny. There's mixes of, yeah. you know, there's mixes of Van Halen and White Snake and all kinds of influences in there. And I absolutely love it. So the new album, which I've had now for probably I don't know two weeks now, to me is every bit as good as what I originally fell in love with, which was the first cool. the first two records. Awesome. So, I mean, it's that's why I asked because I know I know the singer RD. He produced the record, but you mixed the record, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. how does that how does that relationship work between the two of you? I mean, does it go back because you guys are friends and and know each other for a period of time? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, for us, it kind of made sense because we did the pre production together. We wrote everything together. You know, and I have to tip my hat to Leah just because this is the first time that we've done a production together that he kind of gave me a creative control and B, he trusted me with, you know, delivering something good because we hadn't done a production together before. So it was definitely a risk on his part. And, you know, I've, I run a studio. I've, do, I've been doing productions for years, but, you know, this is probably one of the biggest ones I've done so far, just in terms of profile and so on. So it's definitely great for my career and my studio, you know. But yeah, it's that kind of relationship where, you know, Leah is a guy who, you know, he doesn't have all the computer skills and all that kind of sure. newfangled, you know, production stuff. He's not the engineer, you know, he doesn't know how to press the buttons and so on. But I do, like, it's my job. Sure. You know? So it's very organic and comfortable for us to just have a back and forth and he can just tell me, make it more green or whatever. You know, like, he can, he can kind of express how, like, how the vibe should feel, mm -hmm. you know, because he's a vibe kind of guy. He's not like a technical guy or not a music theory guy or whatever. But I'm, you know, I'm the opposite. I'm a details guy. I'm, you know, and I studied, I went to, you know, a college for music and stuff like that. So I can, I take what he says when he says, make it more gray. And I can sort of translate that into, into music language and science, <laughs> you know, and I kind of put the sounds together. And I think it worked out great that, that collaboration, because I would have probably mixed it a little differently if it was just me. But I think together we got it to a really, really cool place, you know? I'm not 
Yeah, I mean, the production on it's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it's another thing for me that has been fairly consistent throughout the records. And is he the type of individual that uh, sits at the uh, mixing board with you, or is it something where you do mixes, send it to him, and he gives you notes? Yeah, just because we're so far apart, it's yeah. the second. Absolutely, we would. I would do iterations of mixes and send them to him. And mm-hmm. and you know, the great thing with doing it that way is you can kind of do a couple of last minute changes or additions if you think ah i'm kind of missing a backing vocal here or or a shaker or whatever it is these little ear candy things you can always add that later on yeah but yeah he definitely had an ear for it you know it's that kind of thing where i would have mixed it more american you know the first iterations were kind of more organic and stuff and he pushed me towards having a a bit more of a european sound a bit more of of a metal sound in there with the the guitar tone and the drums and so on and i think that's what, what makes it stand apart from so many more vintage sounding records that are coming out these days, you know? Yeah, that and the <laughs> the metal comes from, to me anyway, to my ears, and I'm not a musician, but the metal comes from the damn, you guys, you know, you tune down to D or something, right? I mean, it's just so freaking thick. I mean, it's interesting, right? We do tune down. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's you know, it's, it's uh, I always, <laughs> I always believe in different keys having kind of different, vibes you know d minor is not the same as as c sharp minor and so on and for me the american sound was always about e flats and it was always about drop c sharp so that's mainly what we did on this record there are you know the the first two records a lot of it's in b actually a lot of it's further down Uh and it's more stoner and it's more sludgy and more zach wild and you know but this is a bit more classic almost it's a bit more doug aldrich or van halen or whatever you know so for me, yes, absolutely. We do tune down and it's the guitar tones and the drum tones are heavy and stuff as well. And obviously the production is just hard hitting, you know, that's compression. <laughs> yeah. There are happy chords and there are sludgy chords, uh, as yeah. we say. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it definitely uh, creates a, a particular vibe based on what you're using within the songs. I, you know, I just listen to it and go, do I like it or not? Yeah, I like Good. this. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) There's a couple of songs on this record for me that are a little bit out of the norm for Devil's Train in a good way. And what I mean by that is uh, there's a song on the record called uh, You Promised Me Love. And this is a mid-tempo rocker, sort of in the white snake vein. But it's also, for me personally, probably the most commercial song that Devil's Train has ever released. What can you tell me about that song in particular? Cool, man. Yeah, I, I don't know about the... Yeah, I, I appreciate that very much. So it is definitely a commercial song. I, they've done ballads before, you know, and such. So what I like about this song is it's kind of... It has ballady bits, but it's not a ballad all the way through. It's not slow and boring. It's kind of more like a power ballad. Or like you say, it has a very kind of strong white snake vibe, let's say, with the just the groove of the bass and, and the drums, the rhythm section together. And I kind of have a lot of space to play with with the guitars, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a ballad at all. It's a mid-tempo yeah. rocker for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more it's more of an '80s AOR song or, or mm-hmm. a, a melodic rock song than some of the other stuff, which is more blues based on the album. You know, this is more kind of just a just a love song, man. That's all it is. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's an easy going MTV song. You know. <laughs>
Definitely could be released as a single, I think, uh, one of the singles for sure. I mean, my personal taste lean more to probably, you know, I would say a song like The Devil and the Blues. I like that really thick rocker. I also like, uh, you know, I like the swing time stuff, the up-tempo. I mean, for me personally, more uh, hits me right. That's my Van Halen rocker swing time. And that's it. Yeah, it's definitely a fast shuffle number kind of, which I haven't done in so long and it's so refreshing. I love doing that kind of stuff. But when you're in heavy metal bands, you know, that's that vibe doesn't work really mm-hmm. when you're in, in a thrash metal band or something. Right. Like that. Yeah. So it's I love doing that kind of stuff. And, and it's so great to be in a band where everybody a gets it. They get those genres mm-hmm. when you throw a riff at them and B, they can play it, you know, because it's not easy to do, you know, like what Yorick plays on drums is fantastic in that song and the other faster songs, which are also groovy songs, you know, but they're fast as F, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me ask you this, because a lot of this is is not directed uh, straight at Devil's Train, but there's it's it's being used a lot. And I think it's partly this is the makeup of the music industry these days, which is you have all these artists that are in other bands that are doing these other projects, right? Most musical artists today, they have the, what I call the mothership, which is their main thing. And then all these other little projects that they take part in. Absolutely. And it's the same with devil's train, but it always gets labeled as a super group. So (laughs) what's your thought on that? Is it, is it an overused term or do you think it's dead on? I get what you're saying. And I'm sort of sitting here smiling, you know, and it's definitely, it is such a thing in the industry now, isn't it? And it's just become so easy for people to, to write and record from their homes and do Mm -hmm. things remotely that, you know, and I think to me, it's great. You know, Avantasia have a song out with Ralph Sheepers on it and all these kind of things, or even people that are on different continents. It's great that they can do stuff together. Um, Devil's Strain is a bit more old school in the way that we do actually still go out and play live and we do have an organic kind of connection together. Like we know we've met each other face to face, you know, and it's not it's not just a studio project, let's say. It's not just a fun thing on the side. And in terms of supergroup, I mean, yes, I, I'm the only one who does had such an extensive discography. You know, the other three, you know, have played for everyone and anyone in the in the German or European uh, sort of power metal 
Vane from Stradivarius, Running Wild, Saxon, you know, all those bands. If you look at, you know, especially Jens and Jörg, if you look at their catalog, it's ridiculous, you know. But they've never really done something like this either, which I think is great, you know. Although they're really into that music, that's where they come from, you know. They love ACDC, they love Purple, they love Unleashed in the East, you know. But they've been playing Dugga for their whole careers, you know. So it's great to give them that outlet as well and have that, that youthful stuff kind of spill out, you know. Yeah. Do you consider, because I heard you mention it, and I've heard it mentioned before, but I grew up as a Saxon fan. Do you do you consider Saxon a power metal band? No, not really. I mean, they're, they're, a, they're a, a new wave mm-hmm. British heavy metal band, right? I think it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it depends who you talk to. If you talk to people who are into death metal, everything that has clean vocals gets put into a power metal bracket, you know? So they would, you know, my friends in death metal bands would say, yeah, yeah, Maiden's a power metal band. Yeah. And I have to be like, no, no, it's not, you know, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's subtle, right? It's one of these things. So I definitely think it's more more the other way around, that power metal came partly out of new wave of British heavy metal yes, stuff. Yes, agree. The way thrash kind of did as well in the States. I mean, it kind of, right? Yeah. It's one of these things that, that was very influential at, at the start of the 80s and, and kind of had this intense high and then kind of disappeared quite quickly again. So it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we do on this podcast is we have lots of, shall we say, passionate debates about cool. various things. So th- that's why I asked that because whenever somebody uses a term with certain things, I'm like, really? Uh, and the biggest, probably the biggest ongoing debate here at Grown Up Rock is, is it a power ballad or is it not? And yeah. so what, what defines a power ballad type situations? We get into right. all these yeah. conversations, but I just thought I would ask that. That's cool. Man. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Like, like, let me throw one back at you because it's that thing of, you know, to me, I listened to like Priest in the 80s mm-hmm. and I don't, to me, that's not new wave of British heavy metal anymore. That's more hard rock. The same with Def Leppard, you know, like where do you kind of draw the line, right? When does it become not heavy metal anymore? You know. <laughs> do you consider the earlier, are you saying that the later Priest is not new wave of British heavy metal, but the earlier Priest is? What do you, is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. I think it's, it's more complicated, right? This is what I'm trying to get at is, is, they have so much stuff in their catalog, like mm-hmm. anything from the, I mean, I'm a, you know, Sad Wings of Destiny is my jam, you know, that 70s stuff, right? right? which is, you know, what would you call that? It's, it's more, it's more acid rock or something, you know, it's not even, it's getting there, it's getting close to heavy metal. And then it, you know, in the eighties with your terrible lovers and all this kind of quite simple stuff, mm-hmm. arena rock kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it goes kind of almost thrash, like a painkiller to me is not a, a new wave of British heavy metal record. Correct. It's more of a, Thrash meets power, like which is what's so in in Germany and Central Europe still to this day is that whole mixture of thrash and power somewhere meeting in the middle, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think bands have their phases where they may put out a heavy metal record, and then the next record, depending on the era and the sound, could be a hair band album or something like that. I mean, for me, Def Leppard's On Through the Night is a new wave of British heavy metal record, but everything exactly. after that, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. And there's few bands that kind of keep that consistency, right? I mean, Maiden, you can't say to Maiden, you've never done a, a record that was kind of too far removed mm-hmm. from what you've always done, right? They've always kind of evolved a little bit and so on. And, you know, same with Motorhead or, or ACDC or what have you, but they've always kind of stayed in the same vein. So I think that's great. I also, like, I have a lot of respect for bands who deliberately choose to do different stuff from album to album because it's a way to, it's risky, right? right. It's one of these things. But I think that's cool when they do it, newer bands especially. 
I do. I can appreciate an artist wanting to stretch their wings a little bit. I will say this, though. I'm pretty dead set on if I fell in love with a band because they sounded like if I fell in love with the band because they tasted like apples, I don't want a mango on the next album. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mind them branching out, but I don't want something so exactly. vastly different that it's not my, it's not my thing. You know, I mean, this is, this is the, the, the never ending discussion, isn't it? Where <laughs> you're kind of saying with the, especially with kind of smaller artists that aren't in these massive bands. Yeah. They have more than one band these days, you know, but sometimes I kind of go, you know, we all wish for that situation. We all wish we were only in one band. That right. one band was so big that it would sustain us. But at the same time, you know, being Hetfield and, and Ulrich, you kind of have to any any like little branching out you want to do, you got to do it in your mothership. Right? right. As you would say, like, so would you have rather they went off and did St. Anger as a as a side thing under a different name, or would you rather have it as a Metallica record? You know, it's kind of, it's a tricky conversation. See, and I didn't really think, I mean, look, it sounds like you and I could go on forever and a day because yeah, we're getting exactly. these conversations. I don't, I don't necessarily think St. Anger is that vastly different. I actually liked some of the stuff on, on St. Anger, but we should get you back on a show and do like a themed episode but let's get back to Ashes and Bones, the latest release from Devil's Train, coming out June 24th. By the time this episode is released, the album will be out. Did you have a particular song that you're fond of at this period of time? I don't ever ask to, I don't ever like to ask what's your favorite song on the album, but usually there's a song or two that you're leaning towards or gravitating towards that is you're enjoying more at this particular moment. Is there one for you? That's interesting because of, it's like you say, it's so hard to pick a favorite yeah. child, right? It's that thing. Yeah. And, and I've written, you know, at least co-written all of them, you know? Yeah. So, so they're all kind of my babies. And you've kind of mentioned them. I, I mean, to me, it's kind of, I love, I love the devil and the blues. I love ashes and bones, the title track that just, we just dropped the single like about a week ago or so. And, and because it's kind of a deeper song, more of a story song. I love that. And the fast songs as well. I love smell text tonight. I love more because they're more, you know, in your face, but there's really, to me, I love all the songs. Like, there's not one song that's particularly weak to me on the album. You know, I like the mid-tempo stuff as well. Here's an important question. Have you ever met a girl from South Dakota? <laughs> that's a good question. You know, oh, the room is true. No, I don't know. I, I don't think I have. But maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Artie Lee practice has. Maybe our singer has. Because he writes lyrics, right? So he might be speaking from experience. I know South Dakota uh, here in the States. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I bet Lee has never even been to South Dakota. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, that's, that's out there. I spent a lot of years on the road touring the States and so on as a tour manager. And uh, oh, South Dakota is one of the few places is that honestly i never, never. even <laughs> yeah. i think i've been there but maybe only once or twice just going through right yeah. <laughs> yeah not much there right but i kind of think that's kind of you know that's part of the the charm and the western vibe that the band has as well is is of those desolate kind of places right we want to be out in the desert like we don't want to be in la you know we want to be out in arizona somewhere under a tree you know
so let me ask this and then I'll let you go. You guys do a cover of Cameo's Word Up. Why that particular song? How did that end up happening? It's funny because I we with interviewers, this question comes up so much. And I don't know if you're kind of, obviously you've heard the other Devil's Train stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Leah's catalog as it is, but he kind of has a an affinity to pick songs to cover that aren't necessarily of the genre that <laughs> that's being so mystic prophecy his other band did a whole record cover record which is a heavy heavy band but they did like elton john songs and donna summer songs right stuff like that you know and and shadow on the wall you know like stuff that but that kind of let's say let's put it this way we much more than trying to cover it note for note we enjoy taking a song that isn't an obvious choice and making it really making it our own really rearranging it and making it work with what the band is all about yeah. so and it's, you know, the other part is it's great to start a recording session with a cover, I always find, because it's easy going. It's like you're not stressed about it because it's your song, it's your baby and everything has to be perfect. So, you know, when we get together, we love to jam on cover songs, you know, and sometimes, you know, we try lots of different stuff. Like for this album as well, we had like three, four songs on the go that we were just playing, just having fun with. And it's pretty, pretty easy to see which ones work and which ones don't. And then it kind of organically develops. And this one was just one that was so like had us all smiling in the room let's say you know and and it just it was just fun and it was easy and we said fuck it let's record it and then it turned out great so we said fuck it let's put it on the record there you go <laughs> and it did turn out awesome and and it doesn't matter how many times that song gets covered or how many times i hear that song i just i love that tune <laughs> i appreciate that i know it's tricky because a few bands have done it and, and kind of it develops over the years right and that was my little, you know, niggle at the back of my head kind of thing as well. But I think it landed well, you know. I think it's a cool version. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Well, Dan, I appreciate your time, man. I'm going to let you get up on out of here. You know, brother. Once again, Dan from Devil's Train, it's been a pleasure. Go check out Ashes and Bone, the latest from Devil's Train, out on Roar Records as of june 24th and i'm sure that that's already available for most of you so go check it out and if you like that go pick up the first two albums because then you'll pretty much like all the records so <laughs> there you go thanks so much brother thanks for having me and thank you guys for listening take care all all right bye cheers
So I agree with you guys. I thought it was crazy how much of a Southern feel this Euro band has. That was nuts. I love the Dan's a Maiden fan. You got, you know, I love Maiden. I love the Priest conversation you guys got into. I thought that was a good conversation. And dude, that cameo word up cover is awesome. And then that album or that band he mentioned uh, that his singers in that did those other covers. Dude, there are some covers on that album that are incredible too. Yeah, so Dan just he's a really really good conversationalist and and hopefully we can have him back on the show just to talk about whatever. Maybe do a game show, maybe just shoot the shit about who knows, the latest releases because Dan seems like a really big music fan in general. And so this Devil's Train record, they're the one band that I think has been fairly consistent through all three of their releases. Even though this is Dan's first record with the band, the other two records are along the same exact line. So if you like what you heard in that interview, I would encourage you to go check out the first two records as well, because it's just all in that same vein. It's a mixture of Van Halen, BLS, you know, just killer hard rock music. And I love it in this latest record. I love as well. So hopefully you guys dug that and we helped you to discover the band Devil's Train. Now, before we move on, was there any records that maybe aren't on your list tonight that were a disappointment for you so far this year? Uh, the biggest one's that iconic record. I know you guys really got into it. I like three songs. I gave it three full listens because of the band members. I cannot get into it. So it's still a little bit fresh in my uh, stream, in my player. So I can't really comment on it other than the fact that I've gone through it at least once. And I like what I've heard in terms of super groups, especially lately. I like this better than a lot of the other supergroup records I've heard. I think it's pretty cool how Michael and Nathan will share some of the vocals. I think the playing is really good. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit strong on the White Snake side of things, but I don't know. I, I like it. And it's not overly melodic and soft for me. Like It, it really rocks pretty well for my personal taste. So I'm going to spend a little bit more time with that record. Some of the other records maybe that didn't hit me that great, I said it way back when it was released, the Scorpions record. I had sort of high hopes for that record, and I know a lot of people really love that new record. To me, it was just kind of meh. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just growing tired of the Scorpions. Yeah, I didn't have any high hopes for that record. I was talking myself into I need to give Scorpions a chance. I gave them a chance, and I'm like, eh. Right. And I'll tell you the slash record, right? I love those guys. And I know that uh, Kearns listens to us every once in a while. Todd, I love you. It's just the, it's the album's not bad, but it's not going to make my top 10 because there's just something about it that didn't wow me. Yeah. It just didn't connect. And I'm there with you. I mean, uh, the same for me. And I really, really love the first two slash records. Uh, well, not including the slash record where he had all the different guys, but the two after that, that was all slash. Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. I really like those two records a lot. But the last couple records, Worlds on Fire and uh, this one, Four, were a little bit hit or miss with me. So I agree with that as well. What else was on that list? The Battle Beast record didn't connect with me at all. That was like musical theater squared. 
what'd you think of the Beast and Black record? I thought that was just just the same vein. I couldn't get to either one of them. Yeah. We both liked the Kiss and Dynamite. We talked about that earlier in the year. Uh, what about that Edge of Forever? Uh, that one's okay. It's just, you know, he gets a little, because he made it a concept record. Yeah. It gets a little long in the tooth and some of the stuff, but I would say I liked about half of it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, so let's get into three albums from each of us that uh, are currently being listened to that maybe are a surprise or that we're just digging. Uh, I'll start with my first three. So the first one is by a band that's been around for a while called Treat. They just released an album called Endgame. And as luck would have it, they've been added to the Monsters of Rock Cruise in 2023. So I'm a little bit excited about that. I've gone through this record a couple of times recently, and I'm really digging what I'm hearing. Every time I listen to it, I like it a little bit more. I had a good chance to spend some time with it on the way up to Nashville on a long road trip uh, recently. I would say the songs to try are songs like Rabbit Hole, Carolina Reaper, and the first song that kicks off the album, Forty and Slip. I like those three songs. The rest of the record is good as well. But I'm going to play a tune for you right now called Rabbit Hole. Check it out. Chain and boring for the creeper. I got a brand new trick to fool the Grim Reaper. So for the treat record out of the three that you mentioned, I actually like Carolina Reaper the best. Yeah. It's closest to my taste. The rest of the album, it's okay. It just feels like it's one step from amazing. And I don't know what the step is, but I think some of the melodies are maybe just a little bit boring maybe, but it feels like I really want to like it. And there's just one little thing missing. There's a couple of hooks that I really like on this record within the songs. I would say that their past catalog 
each record has a good bit of stuff that I like, but then there's always two or three on there that are just kind of meh for me. This record, pretty much, I enjoyed the whole record. Carolina Reaper is definitely one of my favorites. The one reason I didn't want to spotlight that song in particular is because I think we've spotlighted it before because it's a single. It was one of the first singles off this record. Freudian Slip I like a lot as well. That's what kicks off the record. But check out Treat Endgame. The second one, I've got an older record of theirs, and they've had a few member changes, but the band Crash Diet has been around for a while. They're kind of this glam, sleaze-type band. They released the album Automation, and the songs I would suggest trying is Together Whatever, Shine On, and this one called Resurrection of the Damned. So this album from Crash Diet, great riffs. Uh, the vocals get sleazy at times, but overall it's good to me. Man, they know how to write a chorus. Like almost every chorus is super catchy. So this album is actually that playlist that I keep going for the year that has a shot at my top 10. This is one of the albums on that list for me. And out of the songs you mentioned, actually, Together Whatever is my favorite out of those three. Yeah, it's a band that I would hope that can eventually make their way to Monsters of Rock Cruise because they're definitely a band that would fit in. I get what you're saying about the vocals. That really sleazy vocals at some point sort of wears on me. And it's the same with Hardcore Superstar. Uh, it's the same with, and I know you hate this band, but it's the same with Faster Pussycat. It's just they have a what I would call a sleazy tone to their voice. And if you listen to it long enough, it just sort of starts to wear on you. So I totally get what you're saying there. This is a band that I have a feeling would be amazing live. Well, that's why I'd really like to see them live. 
just because it seems like they've got a, a kind of look about them and they have a sort of energy about it. I mean, I've seen them, you know, in some videos and stuff, and uh, it's just something I would like to see in person at some point. And then my third choice is sort of out of left field. I've never heard of this band in my life. The way I discovered this band is somebody posted something to the effect of what is your top albums for the year so far? And this was basically probably two months ago. Somebody posted and people started responding. I always like to read the comments because I want to see what people are saying are their favorite records thus far. And this one guy popped in there and goes, Felskin, enter the light. And at first I started laughing because <laughs> I was like, Felskin, what is that? I've never even heard of it. So I looked it up and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a cool looking album cover. Let me try it. So I tried it and I was like, holy shit, I kind of like this. <laughs> so I, I moved it over to my playlist and I've been spending time with it really for the past month and a half, two months. And I've listened to it pretty consistently, and I really kind of like this record. They're a German band, so if you go to their website, a lot of the shit in their website is like in German. I can't even read what, what they're saying. But the name of the record is Enter the Light. The way the band spells their name is F-E-L-S-K-I-N-N. -N. And the songs I would suggest you try are Enter the Light, which is the title track, The Angels Down, or send the angels down, sorry. And this one that kicks off the record, Darkness in Your Eyes. Check it out. For all the places I look for new albums, again, you can't catch them all. 
And this was an album I didn't know anything about. So I go, when I saw it on your list, I'm like, all right, let me go check it out. And right at the beginning, I'm like, dude, the name, what the hell is a Felskin? <laughs> like, that's that's a little weird. And I'm looking at the album art. I'm like, oh, my God, that would make a great shirt. Yeah. Then I start listening to songs. They feel like a mixing of, like, power metal with melodic choruses and trying to do a little symphonic. It's a good idea, but it doesn't hit the mark for me. Like, the singer sometimes just sounds like like a better version of, like, Lemmy. Out of these songs, I liked Enter the Light better out of all the three. But it's not probably something I would listen to on the regular. Yeah, fair. And I think uh, your description of them is probably pretty fair. I agree with uh, everything you said there. Yeah, the singer is not the best singer in the world. Uh, he's definitely better than Lemmy, in my opinion. But uh, there's an energy to this record, and there's enough melodies and hooks within the record that keeps me coming back to it. Enter the Light is actually the first song that I heard, which is what drew me into the record. But uh, the rest of the record is decent. So check it out for yourself. Determine whether or not it's something that you dig or not. Uh, every time I see Felskin, the first thing I think about is Foreskin. So <laughs> I don't know. Because you're a second grader. That's why. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> I don't know what Felskin is. I tried to Google it, but I don't really get a definition. So maybe it's uh, just a foreign word or something. I don't know. Anyway, I dig it. So those are my three. Treat with Endgame, Crash Diet with Automation, and Felskin with Enter the Light. Check those out. There's a ton more out there that's killer right now. But uh, that's three that I can share with you at the halfway point. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. All right, so let me take a minute away from this episode to share a public service announcement. And that public service announcement is go leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or at Podchaser. It's very easy to do. Just scroll down, hit the link on your phone, go there, you leave us a five-star review. It helps out the podcast. It gets us further up in the rankings and that helps us out uh, more than you can even imagine. It only takes you a couple of minutes. Also, if you ever want to communicate with Sonny or myself, very easy to do so. Just send us an email, growinguprock at gmail.com. Very simple, growinguprock at gmail.com. Sonny and I read those and we will see it. So send us something. Tell us how you hate the episode, love the episode, hate Sonny, hate me, love me, love Sonny, whatever you want to do. We'll read it. We might not pay attention to it, but we'll read it. <laughs> All right. Fair. Now back to our episode. Okay. So before I get to my three, I'll tell you that it is end of June as we're recording this, and I have listened to 151 albums so far. So I give a lot of things a try, all at different levels of try. So like that example I was giving you as I listen to the vocal and go, nope, not listening to any more of it. Those aren't even listed in the 151. What I count as an album is something caught me to at least listen to two or three songs, right? So I do it every Friday. I'll identify them usually on Friday. I'll listen between Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and sometimes it takes the rest of the week because, you know, a Friday release going to have 10 or 12 different albums at the same time. I've got 19 out of those 151 that are right now identified as possible top 10s. That's the whole year. Okay, so I'm running somewhere in the neighborhood of like 14% of what I listen to. 
I think has a shot to hit my top 10. When I picked the three that I was going to talk about, I could have easily went with Hailstorms Back from the Dead because that got released in the last quarter. I could have easily went with Jeff Scott Soto's Complicated. I stayed away from both of those. Yes, both of those are in my possible top 10 list. And yes, I can be a homer with those guys sometimes, but I like what I like. And I'll be the first one to say stuff that I don't like from my favorite bands because I don't got a problem doing that either. I think that's all fair. Uh, And I'm the same way. The three that I'm giving you today may not ever even make my top 10. I don't know. Uh, They're records that I'm currently listening to that I'm enjoying, along with the 550 other records that I'm trying to listen to as they come out. Uh, And there's just a ton of stuff. I'm much more of a chicken with my head cut off than you are when it comes to this stuff. So I've got maybe two records, three total that I know will probably end up in my top 10, top 15 at this point. Who knows? They could be dethroned by the time we get to the end of the year. We still got another half a year going. And there's a couple of records that I've already heard in full but aren't out yet that I know are going to be in my top 10. So it's hit or miss. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, those are all great points. So all three of my choices that I'm going to share with you are on that top 10 list that I keep going that have a shot at my top 10. Let's put it that way as of today. So the first one, nobody's going to believe it, but it's a band called Skull Fist and the album's called Paid in Full. It got released on Atomic Records on April 22nd. Paid in Full is their fourth album. It's a Toronto trio. You know, they've been through the trials and tribulations just like any new band would. But uh, right now, they got Zach Schottler on vocals and guitar, Casey Guest on bass, and J.J. Tardagila on drums. I would say the riffs, the harmonies, the melodies, they got a kind of this classic heavy metal attitude. And it does have the new wave of British heavy metal sound that I normally don't love. But this album's kind of riding that line between what I would call my bang zone And the stuff I usually stay away from is like touching that line. My favorite off this album is the title track paid in full, a song called For the Last Time. And this ridiculously titled song, I I get the title is ridiculous, but the music, the melody are really good. And the guitars are absolutely ripping and got that like Maiden in Priest feel. Check out Long Live the Fist.
Long live the guitar monies, man. Oh, those gu- those guitar harmonies are killer. So Skullfist is a band that came on my radar from the two guys in Denman. Uh, they're the ones that turned me on to Skullfist because we interviewed them at Rock and Pods several years back. And uh, when I asked them some of the latest stuff they were listening to that they were into, both of them said Skullfist. And that was, that I don't know, that was four or five years ago at least. So Skullfist's been around a while. I got this record as well. I like this record as well. It's exactly as you described. Everything that you said about it is dead on. And so I'm a bit surprised that this is in your list because it's definitely something that would end up in my list more so. But good on you, man. (laughs) I'm venturing. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) All right. My second choice is a band called Dorothy. The album's called Gifts from the Holy Ghost. It was released on April 22nd again, but this one's on Rock Nation Records. So Dorothy Martin is a lead voice behind Dorothy. I would tell you, she's one of the most talented singers in rock over the last six or seven years. And, you know, you know, I love the female lead vocalist. And man, when it's done well, I'm 100% in. This one's their third studio album. Dorothy has hints of Lizzie's like clean sulfur voice. And I love Lizzie, but she can get to screaming sometimes. And she likes that whole punk feel where Dorothy really doesn't do any of that. And Dorothy kind of has a deeper voice too, but it has a lot of power. Most of the songs on this album are about survival and overcoming obstacles and believing in yourself. So it's very uplifting. Like, you know, it's not a downer of an album. And reading the lyrics are pretty cool. My favorites off the album are Black Sheep, Top of the World, and this one that's got Dorothy on lead vocals, Devin Pangle on guitar, Jason Gangberg on drums, Eli Wolfmeyer on guitar, and Elliot Lorango. And it's one of the emotional songs on the album. It's called Rest in Peace. Blood on my hands, what's done is done. Left it by the road with the crows and the dust. Heart so hollow, deep as a cave. One day I'll be dancing on your grave. Taking it back, the life you stole. Every little piece you took of my soul. Now I lay you down to sleep and I pray with the devil you rest in peace. You can't hang your
So I told you before we started recording that the Dorothy record is one that took me by surprise, and that would have ended up on my list for tonight had you not selected it. Dorothy's been on my radar for a few years. I had the opportunity to see them live on that Knotfest thing uh, several years back. They were one of the first bands that played. I thought they were decent. There was a lot of buzz going on about them. I tried their first two albums, and within those first two albums, I found them to be a little inconsistent, but there was stuff that I really liked on them, but other stuff that I didn't like on it. This record, Gifts from the Holy Ghost, to me, is the first really really sort of complete album that Dorothy has put out, in my opinion. I like the songs that you suggested, but one of my favorites off that record is A Beautiful Life, which kicks off the record. I really like this record a lot. It's a mixture of rock and melody, and there's some different you know, rhythms going on within the album. I just, I like this record quite a bit. Uh, so I'm happy that you put it on your list. Yeah, and I think what happens is, you know, we got listeners that are listen to some of this new music and listen to a lot of new bands. And some of our listeners and some of just rock fans in general like bands like Dorothy and The Pretty Reckless because they're kind of all over the place, right? They won't just do one kind of thing. Right. They give you a lot of different flavors. For me, I like Hailstorm better because they picked away and just went straight. And like you kind of said, this is probably the first place where – Dorothy has released an album and they just went down one avenue and stood there. Mm -hmm. And I really like the album a little more because it tells me what I'm going to get. And for a new band to be kind of all over the place, sometimes it's hard for me to get into it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. All right. My third one's going to surprise people too. So hailing from Pottsville, Pennsylvania, Crowbot just released their fourth album called Feel This. First of all, I got to give credit to our brother Dylan Wright from the Potter Than Hell podcast. Would have never given this band a shot, but he recommended them, and he was dead on. These guys got that rock, funk, dirty groove, that feel that I just love so much. And all that being said, they got an ice cream cone on the cover. So winner, winner, chicken dinner. Like, that's that's all good things to me, right? My favorites off this album are the opening track, Electrified, the power ballad, mid-tempo, whatever you want to call it, Set You Free, and this one, which has on vocals, Brandon Yeagley, on guitar, Chris Bishop, on bass, Tim Pugue, and on drums, Dan Ryan. And the song is called Into the Fire. And I love the line, I go to sleep, just a dream about your nightmares.
All right, so Crowbot is a band that's been on my radar for several years. I've got, I already have two or three of their records in my library. So it's a band I've been very aware about. Uh, and I've dug them for a while. And I had the opportunity to see them twice and both times screwed it up one way or another. And uh, I think one of them canceled and one of them, I just couldn't get down to the venue they were playing downtown. So I missed them both times. So I hope to see them at some point in the future. But I like this latest record as well. If you like this latest record or, or the song that Sonny just played, I would recommend you going out and getting some of their other stuff because they're an interesting band, but they also play in the same sandbox. So I kind of like them, their catalog for the most part. I dig uh, Crowbot. And to be honest, if I'm looking at your list, I'm thinking this is my list and you should have my list because the stuff that you're picking doesn't sound like it comes from Sonny Pooney. <laughs> no, it's my list, man. I'm telling you, I'm venturing out. Man, I'm, I'm so proud of Sonny Pooney. He, our little boy is growing up. He's expanding himself. It's so exciting. We'll have you loving Saxon before no time. Yeah, I'm sure they got a song called Long Live the Fist or Up Their Own Fist or whatever they're called. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, look, that's six great records for people to check out. Hopefully you like some of the stuff that we uh, peeled off for you tonight. And uh, well, it's actually seven great records if you count the Devil's Train record in the interview but uh that's great new music and all of it is not on frontiers records baco so you know suck it <laughs> and i say that lovingly of course yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh it's good stuff for sure so there you have it all right so let's connect it to kiss you wanted the best but you got the best the hottest band in the world kiss It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So you want to, you know, go down a rabbit hole, as I guess Treat would say. <laughs> go to YouTube and type in Kiss Cover and just look at the last month and you'll get 85 different Kiss Covers. Like people do Kiss Covers constantly. So for the historic moment, we're going to go with something that was released this year. It's one of those YouTube releases from a band nobody's ever heard of. The band's called Wrecker. I don't know anything about them. All I know is lead guitar, you got Rick Sheldon, you got Scott Smallwood on drums, and a guy named Rich Wreckers on guitars, bass, and lead vocals. And here's their version of the Kiss classic, Strutter.
All right, so they're playing that one pretty close to the vest, it seems like. Yeah, they didn't get too crazy with it. You know, like we've said before, Paul's vocal's tough to do. Guy did a pretty good job overall. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So that's your mid-year checkup, your mid-year report card as it is. Let us know what you're listening to because, like I said, I discovered some of the stuff that's on this list tonight from people going, ah, you got to listen to this. This is great. So, And there's a ton of lists. Like Sonny and I said, we both compile lists from the beginning of the year so that when we get to the end of the year, we have an idea of what we need to go back to or what we uh, really liked or disliked, basically. And if I remember right, a couple of months ago, I went through some serious, serious pain. Like it was one of those pains where like I couldn't get rid of it. Like my chest was, I was ready to have a heart attack of some sort. It was, didn't Saxon release a new album? <laughs> they did indeed. In fact, it's on yeah. my list. Carpet Diem. Brutal. <laughs> I listened to three songs trying to go, all right, I'm going to surprise my people by saying I love the Saxon record. I listened to three songs and said, I can't do it. Saxon could put out the latest heat record and it wouldn't matter. You'd still hate it. <laughs> uh, no, but a good little episode. You know, we're listening to new music all the time. And like we've said before, for the listeners, if you know, you don't have that much time. So you got to kind of count on the podcasters, radio jockeys, blogs. You got to connect yourself with somebody and go, you know what? My musical taste matched that person. And so whatever that person says coming out new, they like, I'll probably try it too. Yeah, no doubt. It's a balancing game. And even if you get to listen to the record, I've said this many a times, there are records that just don't hit me right away. And unfortunately, I know there's a lot of people that approach it. And I think, you know, I don't know, Sonny, maybe you're one of these people, but you approach it where if it doesn't hit you the first time, off to the side, it goes and you move on to the next because that's kind of the environment we live in. I have forced myself, and that sounds bad, but I've forced myself to go through a record at least three times, and if it doesn't grab me by the third time, then I kind of move on, but there have been records that get better with each listen, and I end up loving them, uh, because that's what you used to do in the day. I mean, back before you had releases every five seconds, you would go and live with the record for a period of time, and uh, there have been many classic records that I look back on that maybe I didn't love the first listen, you know, that grew on me. Yeah, I go down uh, a little bit of a different route, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but I will give a few songs a listen if a couple of things catch me, like the vocal or the guitar riff or whatever, right, the melodies or whatever. If I give a record a full listen and I didn't like it, it pretty much is not going to get another listen unless – it's a band member or somebody I know. So like that iconic record, I'm like, all right, I just listened to it in full. Was that not that great? How can they not that be great? Like, look at the band members. It's got to be better than that. So I had to listen to it a couple more times because it's like, well, I've not really not listened to stuff that Michael Sweet does and he's on this. So I should give it a try. So, you know, whether people like that approach or not, because I'm connected to certain musicians that I've loved over my life. They get a second chance. A newbie, if they don't catch me the first listen or the first three or four songs, I'm done. I don't got time because I'm trying to widen my scope of what I'm listening to, and that gives me X amount of time. Yeah, I hear you. 
I hear you. I mean, I usually, I won't spend any time with it over one listen. I might not even get through the first listen if it's just slow and boring to me. Because if it's slow and boring throughout and it's a rock record, you know, it has little to no chance of me liking it on the third or fourth listen. So I'm just not going to subject myself to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I encourage people to go out there. Don't say rock is dead. There's plenty of rock out there. You just got to go check it out. See what hits you the right way, right? Yep. And thanks for listening. And we will catch you next week. Appreciate you. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Uh, this bit from Saxon. You're listening to Grown Up Rock Podcast with Stephen and Hollywood. Crank it up. get a chance to listen to that strutter uh oddly enough i realized that i didn't listen to that <laughs> <laughs> i went through everything i uh, the uh, the i went through all the stupid stuff like the uh, quiet riot songs and the stuff that i needed to re-listen to and i realized when i just looked at it on the sheet i'm like yeah i missed that <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 